So a few questions. What conditions the in-breath? What conditions the out-breath? Is the in-breath one and the out-breath the other? Or is the in-breath and out-breath one breath? Mm. Mm. In-breath and out-breath is the condition of life. Life conditions it. called the Kaya Sankara, the bodily conditioner. So as long as one has an embodied life, bodily life is the basis for breathing in and breathing out. Without that, there's no bodily life. And is the in-breath one and the out-breath the other? They're kind of really, there's no real... So he goes through various phases So if we sort of start anywhere, if you start with an in-breath, inhalation, then as that completes itself, the energy which is intelligent, body, body kaya sankara is intelligent, and says, oh, that's, that's enough. So it releases that movement of breathing in, So the movement of breathing in subsides and then moves into breathing out. So you can say they are, they flow, one flows into the other. So where you could say there's only one breath in your life, begins, moves in and out. So it's also useful to contemplate those periods, those phases when the in-breaths comes to its end, and the out-breath comes to its end. Why is that? Because it's calming. So the in-breath and out-breath condition the mental sankhara, jitta-sankhara. So jitta-sankhara is all that emotional, mental energy it keeps stirring and wanting and worrying and moving around energy of the heart yeah. so the in-breath and out-breath send a steady calming influence in that so it becomes less agitated Because less agitated, the energy of the heart also becomes steady and smooth. Becomes steady and smooth, it merges with the body energy. This is called samadhi, unification. Heart and the body have unified because they're actually the same thing. Though most people don't know that or don't believe it don't understand it you don't really know what a body is get stuck in this physical thing or we don't really know what the heart is we get lost in thought which is not the heart at all it's the mind 
manas, manovinyana. Do you know the difference between manas and citta, manovinyana and citta? So, just like we have any other form of consciousness, eye consciousness, ear consciousness, tongue consciousness, body consciousness, it means a certain objects arise, don't they? You hear sounds, sights come through the eye consciousness. They're completely different phenomena, aren't they? Sight is nothing like a sound, it's nothing like a taste. These come in. So you've really got these five very different consciousnesses. Eye, ear, nose, tongue, body. Why are you not completely crazy? You're getting five different messages, right? Five different messages. Visual message, sights, colors, lights, shapes. Mm. Auditory message, sounds, resonances, silences. Completely different thing. What's happening now? Probably sights, sounds, physical sensations. They're all mixing together, aren't they? It could be very confusing. Such different experiences happening, all mixed up together. But then you have mind consciousness, manovinyana. And that creates order. He says, that sounds outside, this sight's in front of you, seeing's in front of you, sounds out there somewhere, you're sitting here. Those sensations are happening to you, this is where you are. He says that. You are living inside something that's receiving all this sense consciousness, all these bases. That's where you are. Right? That's where you are. Well, that's where I am. Okay. Well, what are you? <laughs> that's where you are. Why can you never find out where you are? You just feel you're somewhere receiving all this stuff. And above all, it's the mind consciousness which tells you all sorts of things about where you are. So you're in a place, it's called Wat Palalai, it's in Bidok, it's in Singapore, it's, it's April, it's Jin Sujito, people around me, that's where I am. <laughs> Close your eyes, what happened to Jin Sujito? <laughs> Close your eyes, what happened to Wat Palalai? <laughs> how real is that this mental phenomena creating this apparent reality and all the time we, we feel we are in it now, what should I do with it where should I go what do people think of me am I doing the right thing what will I become in the future 
what was I in the past how will I get happy how will people like me when I get a good job, what I'm going to do with my life. Mind consciousness keeps... Where does that go? Where is all that? It's called samsara. So that's all generated by the mind. Well, it says, is there anywhere else? Oh, yes. When the mind stops, somewhere else (laughs) really because have you ever known the mind to stop you can close your eyes you can close your ears but you can't close your mind why does it never stop talking chatting nudging you telling you to do this and that fidgeting, restless why does it never stop even when the messages are distinctly unpleasant and useless, thinking about what happened five years ago, planning the future which doesn't exist, why why does it just never stop? Because within all that, you have chitta. Chitta is the heart. It's searching. Make me comfortable. I want to be comfortable. I want to be steady and secure. I want to be safe and secure. I want to be safe. I want to be happy and comfortable. At ease. Enjoying myself. That's what it's saying. So it says to the mano, go out and find it. Tell me where it is. You go out there. You go. You, you're the one who deals with the senses. You go out there and check out the senses and tell me where the good place is. So the mano is like a good secretary, runs out, sight, sounds, touches, as well. This is all I got. <laughs> and the chitta goes, well, I don't think much of that. <laughs> that sound wasn't that good. <laughs> that taste has disappeared. <laughs> yeah. That idea has vanished. That plan has has crumbled. That memory just bothering me. Tell me, is it somewhere else? The mano says, well, there's you. Why don't you go there? Stop asking me. Ask yourself, where are you? Where are you, Chitta? Chitta. Ah. Ah. doesn't know, too confused. Always going out. Always going out into consciousness. Yeah. So then, teacher comes along and says, okay, I know what you mean, I know the problem. Why don't you just restrain the senses? I know it's not easy, but sit quietly, sit still, get comfortable. Stand, walk, it's not supposed to be miserable, it's okay. Get tired, you can stand up, walk around. Just stay, you can stay within this experience in your body that your mind can't think of, it doesn't really get it. Somewhere behind the mind, sense of 
subtle presence, vitality. Stay there. Let that lead you. Mind can only lead you so far. It can lead you so far. It can say, I don't know, go and find the Buddha. <laughs> don't keep asking me, go and find the Buddha. He's the one who knows, not me. Okay, what does the Buddha say? Okay, well, be mindful of your body. Be mindful of breathing in and breathing out. As you do that, you notice that the breathing, the experience of breathing, is always not quite what your mind thinks it is. It's always fluid, flowing. It's never one thing or another. It's always strangely comfortable. And there's periods, these moments, when it stops altogether and your mind goes, How's that? Oh. You can notice that, can't you? You can't think about it. Well, you can. What's there to say? What's there to say about silence? <laughs> as soon as you say something about it, you've lost it. Does it mean you don't know what silence is? Right. Who's got the best silence? Is it a big one, a small one? You can't say anything about it because as soon as you start saying something about it, there's no silence. <laughs> right? So it's rather like this. It's rather like following the breathing. You get to the point when it... Nothing to say. Just gone. Do you notice that? You can be aware of that, can't you? Now, if you're listening to my voice, sound, and you notice it stopped. And before your mind goes off into something else, or you listen to something else, just notice the sound of my voice is about to stop, and now it has You could notice that, couldn't you? Was that good? Bad? No. Was it wonderful? No. Is it nothing? But that moment, your thinking couldn't make anything out of it. And you could be aware of that. Here's a very small example where you find the mind ends. The mind consciousness ends and the chitta is still there. And now instead of pumping out urges and wishes and fretful agitation, it just opens. So, that's why the Buddha recommended following processes such as breathing, walking, even thinking. To their beginning, their rising, the ending, 
<laughs> and the moment they end, mind is just awareness. Chitta. Uh, possible to sense that quality when the mind stops, when there's no particular input, it's kind of peaceful. It's not a person. There's no pressure to it. It's kind of peaceful. And the more you tap into that or sense that, you sense it's inevitable. Everything will stop. Everything comes to an end. It does, doesn't it? Now, if your chitta is not hungry for something else, not hungry for something else, because whatever else comes will also end, <laughs> when your chitta is not hungry for something else, not worried about what happened, not fascinated by it, the possibility for the chitta to be released from consciousness. This is a long process, steady process, but we keep introducing that with every exhalation, every inhalation. End of the inhalation. End of the exhalation. Just introducing that. Very simple thing that your body does. Requires no effort. Don't have to make it happen. It's very ordinary. But you don't notice it. Because the jitta goes to the next thing. Next thing, next thing. Fill it up, fill up the space, fill up the space. Hungry. It's called tanha, craving. Tell me who I am. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Ah, what could I be? Just stop. So in this way, we really you really recognise there's something beneficial about breathing. And Buddha, that was his meditation process, because it, if you stay with it, it begins to change. It changes by becoming quieter and subtler and steadier, and it draws the chitta in. It draws. It sort of has a certain pull to it. You get. Oh, what's happening? It releases the agitation of the mind. This is very common, and yet we don't really, really take account that when you breathe out deeply, you relax. And when you breathe in deeply, you feel fresh and bright. And that process going on begins to clean all the residual agitation in the system. Because the body 
and the chitta are the same or share the same system, which is this responsive, responding to consciousness. When the mind drops something in, body jumps. Body gets excited. Body tightens up, gets contracted. So hurry up, hurry up, get to work. Body gets tight. You've got to wait, you've got to wait. The body seizes up. You're not good enough, the body crunch. He gets these signals, as you say, it's very much the same thing. Problem with that is if it gets so built in that it gets stuck. All those patterns, sankharas, they get stuck. It's called a formation because it forms you. You get stuck in the same pattern, the same habit. Deeply stuck in the same pattern, the same habit. It's addiction. We may not be addicted to alcohol, but we're addicted to sangsara. Always having something to do. Always going to the next thing. Always thinking about what we should be. Does it do you any good? No. It's agitation. Stop it. Can't stop it. How am I supposed to stop it? I'm not good enough to stop it. Tell me how to stop it. Look, you're doing the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Breathing. That's why it was taught like this, because this is the way out of samsara, is to stop creating it. But you don't create it deliberately. It's just it gets it gets built in. It's like an infection. You're infected by the messages is of sense consciousness. Right? You get these messages, infect infect it. And the messages say Oh, have one of these, it's really nice. Oh, have a grape. Oh, that's good. Have another one. Oh, that's good. <laughs> have some tea. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And also, messages of fear. Get away from that, that's painful. So you get these messages coming from sense consciousness. So eventually, all that, all those messages create this stimulation in the chitta that affects the body, so you get stuck in it. You can't switch it off. People have to take sleeping pills to get to sleep, uh, can't switch off anything. The system's got locked. The system gets locked, the mind thinks about it. Thinks, oh, you know, I'm really a mess, I don't know what to do about it. It's like, oh, you better find the Buddha quick. <laughs> so the Buddha, Buddha says, oh yeah, that's right, that's how it is. You, know, you just go into, in, within your body, you've got a place where the senses don't go. He likened it to a, a, having a, a heavy post you ram into the ground like a pole 
And he says, you've got six animals. The animal called eye consciousness, ear consciousness, nose consciousness, taste consciousness, body consciousness, thought consciousness. Six animals, they're all pulling in different directions. And you tie them to this stake. They can't. Eye wants to pull that way. Ear wants to pull that way. Thought wants to pull that way. Body says, oh, this is painful. Oh, it hurts. They say, all these things pulling. You tie the animals to the stake. Oh, and eventually they, oh, they sit down. What is the stake? It says mindfulness immersed in the body. This is the stake. This is the pole. This is the thing that restrains the senses. So when you're saying mindfulness immersed in the body, he's not talking about touch, because that's one of the six animals. Touch. Yeah. That's one of the six animals. So it's not tactile consciousness. It's in the body within. Right? The inner body, the subtle body, the energy body, the kaya sankara, vitality body. Yeah. And what's that? Well, it's the one whenever you feel frightened, you can feel it stirring, churning in your guts. When you feel worried, you find it grabbing, tightening in your heart. When you feel sad, you feel your body goes slumps and distressed. When you feel angry, you feel it running like fire. That's what it is. Now that inner body, you can steady it, train it, clean it. How do you do that? Well, restrain the senses, breathing in, breathing out. That's so as it says in the Anapanasati Sutta, first of all, you're sensitive to the entire body and then soothing the Kaya Sankara. What does that mean? Now you see, just as the body conditions the heart, the heart also conditions the body. So we approach this inner body with the attitude of soothing, relaxing softening, cleaning, compassionate, whole thing. May you be well, soothing it, taking the pressure off, taking the agitation, stop complaining about yourself. Don't worry. Just feel those energies and spread your awareness over all these agitations and jumps and slumps keep breathing and gradually it's like a cleanser it begins to suffuse the entire body this is called samadhi it's a cleansing process it's not a process of fixating your attention on a point it's a process of feeling completely settled and happy in your inner body your heart is happy comfortable yeah. So this this body, this breath can be conditioned by many things. Basically, it's conditioned by life, but it's also could be conditioned by dhamma, whereby we 
make the breath into an agent of the Dhamma. So go in there. You've got a job to do. Start cleaning up the mess. <laughs> Start tidying the house. <laughs> Move around inside the chest. Make sure you get behind into the forehead and the eyes. A lot of tension up there. Yeah. It moves around as an agent of the Dhamma. And then that conditions, in breath and out breath, conditions release. Release is also dependent upon conditions. Right? So, and sangsara is dependent upon conditions, nibbana is dependent upon conditions. Conditions for nibbana, sati, mindfulness, proper attention, sense restraint, skillful actions, skillful actions of heart. So, you're constantly activating those heart energies which are about steadying, soothing, firming, cleaning, not soiling, cleaning, releasing, soothing, relaxing. So this then is the skillful heart action. We do that, our speech and bodily action follows suit. Most important basis of action is not your body, but your action of your heart. Get that right, the body will follow it. Yeah. So then this bodily, this breathing formation becomes a condition for happiness and a condition for liberation. And one has to be, just keep remembering Dhamma. It's in some sense, it's very simple, but our minds are complicated. It's very present, but our minds don't like the present. They like the future and the past. <laughs> they like to create things. So we've got to really restrain it and use it, our thinking mind to listen, penetrate the realities that cause the condition release. So, the person says, I understand that after achieving samadhi or stillness of mind, one must do vipassana or there's a need to direct the mind or know what to see. But isn't achieving right concentration, jhanas, the last of the eightfold path? Isn't seeing things as they are approximate cause for right concentration? Is there a need to look out for or know what to see? I have heard of people claiming they've achieved stillness or samadhi when the mind grows quiet, but still don't know what to look out for. Well, well, you know, there's all kinds of experiences that people have, and uh, there are different kinds of uh, samadhi, mitya samadhi, wrong samadhi, and Mitya and Sama Samadhi, right Samadhi, Mitya 
sati, wrong mindfulness, uh, samasati, right mindfulness. And after the Eightfold Path, there's the Tenfold Path. <laughs> so Tenfold Path follows on from the Eightfold. The Tenfold Path is uh, <laughs> right knowing, samanyana, and right release. Well, right release and right knowing. So, um, these two last aspects, you can see them in the uh, Majjhima Sutra on the Great Forty, Tenfold Path. So, uh, Samadhi, right Samadhi is the condition by which one uh, sees things as they are because the mind isn't jumping around. It's steady. What do we see in right samadhi? We see all things arise and pass. Everything is subject to causes and conditions. How do we see that? Well, you keep your, you always keep your wisdom faculty going. You don't want stupid samadhi. So keep your wisdom faculty going. So as you're practicing, You've got that sense in which you're saying, okay, this is this. There's the body, breathing. So you don't, you keep your mind just gently in the background. It's not leading anymore. It's quiet. Until it's time for it to stop. You're just restraining it. You're just So you're getting steady and you're noticing, calming, holding up and releasing and tuning into happiness. So when the thinking mind is restrained and done its proper work, it comes along, it's okay, this is as far as I can go. Here's your next bus, your next teacher. It's called happiness. <laughs> Follow that one. <laughs> so <laughs> Sounds good, huh? So this is the inner happiness. So you follow that and it says, okay, this is, you know, so you're noticing the effect. Just what you release. What releases when you come into a sense of piti sukha, happiness and ease. Hindrances release. No your will, no doubt. The, you're not relying upon thinking anymore because you thinking said, this is as far as I can go. If you don't think, you don't doubt. If it's comfortable, your agitation, restlessness goes. If it's happy, your craving, sense desire goes. There's no ill will. There's nothing to feel ill will about. So the, you, you know, ah, that's gone. You know it. Right? You don't have to even think it, really. If I stick up my hand, you don't have to, that is his hand. You know, oh, it's his hand. <laughs> it's, it's as clear as that. Oh, it's that. Something you have a, a kind of knowing that's not associated with thought. You must use this all the time, surely. 
So when you stand up on your feet, do you know both feet are on the ground or do you have to think left foot, right foot? Huh? When you stand up, do you have to think about it to know you're standing up? Well, that's about right. Do you know you're balanced? How do you know that? You just listen. Listen to the body. So you can get a kind of knowing that's not about just having more ideas. It's just a listening, receptive knowing. That's wise. True wisdom comes from the receptive, the listening. That's where wisdom arises. So just because you're not thinking doesn't mean you're not wise. You can't have any insight. And that wise silence, if you like, you're noticing, somebody's noticing stress, self, a little bit there, a little bit of stress there. Just like, you know, you put your sense of touch. Is that smooth or rough? It's rough. You don't need to think it, you can sense it. Now when you're, you're cultivating this process of inner body and chitta you rely on their intelligence to tell you you don't have to rely upon your thinking mind can you get that? you say do you feel comfortable? Pretty much. Wait a minute. Tense. Now, did you think that or did you notice it? You checked it out, didn't you? Something that went in. How does it feel? How does it feel? How does it feel? You receive feeling. Doesn't feel right. Then you make me think, but you receive the message not from your thinking mind. <laughs> Something in you knows that's comfortable, that's steady. I feel unhappy, not quite right. There's where the, there's where the pressure is. There's where the gripping is. There's where the ease is. So this is wisdom that's not about thinking. And this is the wisdom of insight. As it develops, as you begin to listen in, tune in through your chitta, through your embodied chitta, listening in, you listen to the quietness, the openness, the ease. And you maybe notice somewhere just a little bit of agitation is going on. Some agitation. 
agitation, wanting to hold on to something. Ah, there's where that is. Relax. And it begins to recognize conditions, changing, changeable conditions. Nothing to be held on to, even the silence. You see things as they really are. One sees things as they really are, there becomes a sense of disenchantment. Disenchantment. The dream is over. The dream of conditionality is over. We're not interested. We're not caught up. We're not fascinated by conditions. So then the mind releases. Now, you see, there's a track there of knowing. And this is the jnana, jnana, samanyana, right knowing. And it's not thinking. So, now this depends very much again on our our interest, because naturally, one of the uh, you could say a default or a problem with pleasure is we we like it. So when you get kind of happy samadhi states, think, oh, this is very nice. I want to stay with this. We get a little bit fascinated by it. That's natural. Yeah. It's like when you're a little little kid and you're playing with a gadget. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. After a few years, you think, yeah, I said, well. <laughs> so, with Samadhi, it's rather like that. You think, oh, look at this. You've had a bit of it. You think, yeah, yeah, it's, it's okay, but. Yeah, it's, it's supportive, but it's not an end in itself. Hmm. So, you know, this sense of knowing is not a, it's not really the condition for samadhi, it's a condition that becomes possible through samadhi. Until then, so, okay, you say, what's samadhi? Well, let's look at it like this. If the five hindrances aren't there, how is that? Yeah. And what is it that knows that? It's not a thinking process. The sense of you feel joy, at ease. Now, if you can allow yourself to receive that, trust it, settle into it, breathe into it, the body drinks it up and the mind settles down. And so often with uh, the process of meditation, because we, often, we generally see this as very much mental cultivation, is we forget citta is embodied. So the mental attitudes take over. The mental attitude that's associated with Sense consciousness is, I like this, I don't like that, I want this, I don't want that. So it picks. Uh, mental attitude, attitude associated with jitta is much more like opening to and drinking in. Opening to, it's called absorbing. So when you find something that feels agreeable, 
settling into it, this inner quality within your body, then the body gives a sense of strength, firmness. That's why it's important to open all the body channels, the energy channels. So it's not it's not strength like force. It's just everything in your body is just there. <laughs> the body is filled with it. Everything in the body is just... As they say, the Buddha says there's no part of your body that's not drenched and saturated with happiness. That's the description of jhana, various kinds of it. Okay. It's very emphatic because it's saying in order for this process to complete, it's not about how much effort you put in exactly, though effort is needed, but how you put it in. If you put it into using your body and your breathing to to support each other, to trait to pull in the thinking mind, that takes effort to stay steady and let the process grow, that takes effort, then you you find that this quality becomes more available for you. Now wrong samadhi, which can happen for people, or perhaps wrong is a bit harsh, but Somebody that doesn't bear fruit is, is a kind of lacks the vitality. So people go into they call it stump samadhi. You stop thinking, but there's no juice. So you kind of there's no wisdom because the sensing isn't active. The jnana, the awareness isn't active. We've gone into a kind of a a, a blanket state, you know, a blanket over the head. Yeah, mind's gone, thinking mind's gone quiet, but we've gone much too passive, just yeah. and this is uh, sort of a defect. So make sure you begin with very limiting your thought, applying making your thoughts something that says, Okay, this feels like this, this is this, this is a long breath, short breath, whole body, how's the back? Am I breathing in? Am I breathing out? And then, okay, how does it feel? You move from thinking to feeling. Feeling. Sensing. Receiving. You move from that to that. And you keep doing that until the sensing becomes more confident. Most of the time we're led by our thoughts. So you've got to kind of educate your sensing, gut knowledge, heart knowledge. It's like you taste soup and think, not quite right. <laughs> you don't have to do a conceptual analysis, you just think, yeah, not right. <laughs> so a person asking about the energy body, She's done retreats three times with me. Each time her energy body unlocks some more space in my physical body. And then the person does a little diagram. 
quite amusing diagram. <laughs> uh, okay, this says so the diagram is a simple outline of a human body with this thing inside it getting bigger and bigger. First retreat, second retreat, third retreat. <laughs> The person calls it the garden. I guess it's when the energy body is quite comfortable or something. Wants to get out of the house, which looks like it's somewhere in their head. Most of the time it's locked inside. Only occasionally it shifts. The metta karuna, or reach deep relaxation, can it go out? These moments feel great, usually quite short. What's your advice for my energy body to stay in the garden a bit longer? Well, if you want to stay in a garden, you better get a strong sense of what a garden is. Then you'll go there. What's a garden? Nice and green, perhaps. Flowers. No machinery, no work, sunny day, sitting in the chair, in the garden, that's where you want to be. Bring that into your mind. (laughs) And uh, bring that image up in your mind. And linger upon it and refine it. So what does it mean? It means perhaps no pressure, uh, no busy. Uh, nobody bothering me uh, no time uh, you said metta karuna helps you go there we'll do more of that understand that the quality of goodwill joyful heart cultivate those they'll take you yeah, their effect is suffusive jhana is suffusive and metta is suffusive Suffusive means it's an energy thing. See, an energy like steam, just or like mist. You see, whereas normally action is kind of sharp or hard, or but the action of jitta in its pure state is just like a mist. It's widening through the body. So you get that. Metta does that very much. We think of just remembering other people's generosity and goodwill. We feel happy. We want to pay it back. We want to also offer goodwill to others. That's a, how's that feel? Yeah. Don't have to, but I'd like to. How's that feel? How's that feel? How does it feel in your body? Oh, yeah. That's pretty nice. Are you bringing the two together? Yeah. And then you can, then the metta becomes a basis for samadhi and insight. Is it a must to see past lives of, or as one of the knowledges to progress or penetrate on the path? I understand there are arahants that are not able to see past lives. I would say it's not necessary to see past lives. It's not even necessary to see all of this life. (laughs) Thank goodness. It's not an entirely happy story. 
But you just get the general gist of it. <laughs> here's greed, here's hatred, here's delusion. That's the stuff. His aspiration, his goodwill, his parami. That's the story. <laughs> this life, past life, the same thing. His defilement, his parami, his blessings. That's that's the narrative. <laughs> when we get to the end of the story. I am afraid of being born without wisdom or beauty. Mm. How can I make sure I'll always be close to the Dhamma in my next lives? Well, this life, next life depends on this life. <laughs> so if you keep, you know, attending to Dharma in this life and you enjoy it and it, your mind is encouraged by it and you find it valuable, then it becomes that which leads you. And you find uh, get wisdom and beauty. Beauty of the heart. Wisdom of the heart. What you do now conditions the future. If you were someone to say, what are you what are you gonna what about when you're dying? What do you do when you're dying? Well you're dying now. <laughs> As soon as you were born, you started dying. <laughs> so don't think, oh, when I'm 95, I'll start dying. No, you're dying now. <laughs> Just it's going to keep going on for a while until you get to the end of dying. <laughs> and then you, right? Then you're called dead. <laughs> and then it starts again. <laughs> so we reflect upon it because there's this immense, immense illusion that sits there somewhere in the heart. Every day there's people dying. It's a sure, absolutely rock-solid sure. And you think, something, well, that's not for me. I'm going to go on forever, you know. Oh, maybe I'll die on 120 or something, but not now. You sure? <laughs> you sure? Death is is not fussy. It takes young people, old people, babies. It takes people who are happy. It takes people who are unhappy. It takes good people. It takes but it's very very fair. Take anybody, any time. But it generally doesn't tell you when he's coming. <laughs> but you, so he could come tonight. You should always think of this. Consider this. If you do this. Not to make yourself depressed, but make yourself ready. Because when you take death as a friend rather than an enemy, death is saying, don't hang on to stuff that you can't take with you. Don't fight with things that are not going to be for your welfare. Look after your heart. That's what's going to go with you. The rest of it's going to go. Don't hang on to it. That's what he keeps telling you. So every night you should think, okay, is anything here in my heart that I'm feeling I can't forgive? If you don't forgive now, it's that it's going to stay with you. Right? Is there anyone I can't send some degree of goodwill towards? 
If you haven't completed goodwill, that will restrict you. That will limit you. Yeah. There's a what values do I have? What do I hold dear? Do I hold honesty dear? Do I hold generosity dear? Do I hold wisdom dear? Do I really hold these as the most important things? Then they'll go with you. If you don't hold them dear, you don't remember them, you don't listen to them, their messages, they don't. It's up to you. Death is there to keep reminding us of this. So you shall, every day you should ask him, tell me, give me the message again. Yeah. Yeah. When the sight goes, you can't see anymore. Hearing goes, you can't hear anymore. Thinking goes, you can't think anymore. Can't move. What's left? That's what goes with you. So we try to organize our thinking, our actions, our body, our livelihood, always to keep gathering everything back. Good karma, good karma, good karma. Yeah. Be hungry for it, skillful states, while you have the chance. This is what, I mean, in this birth, in this lifetime, we do have this chance, this opportunity. It's not just a miserable ordeal. It's not just casual game. It's a chance to search for good states, to acquire and develop good states, to develop the mind, develop the heart, develop skills, develop parami, develop blessings. While you've got it, you can do it with this. This is a a parami generator. It's not used, don't fry eggs with it. (laughs) Don't use it for what it's worth. Look out for those chances when something you want to hold in this. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Start complaining and getting agitated. Look, doesn't matter. (laughs) It's it's, it's every day you see those things we get. You want to live like that? How can I establish daily meditation practice? What's a good amount of time? I'd recommend 24 hours a day. Do some standing, some sitting, some walking around, some lying down. When you're moving, when you're eating, meditate. When you're breathing in, breathing out, meditate. When you're bathing, meditate. When you're driving your car, meditate. You're talking to people, meditate. Yeah. So be mindful. Try to use these forms of practice when we sit still. Just to keep drawing back to the still still center. There's a still center that 
that we don't often necessarily notice. I tell you, it's like, you know, when you stand up, you notice sensations. Where your floor is cool or warm, where your back feels stiff. Whether you're feeling healthy or unhealthy, you notice sensations. Do you notice balance? Balance doesn't have any sensations in it. Right? It doesn't have a feeling. Because it's the place where the feeling, the sensations stop. Okay. Because that's there and that's there, I'm balanced. Feelings always push. Balance doesn't push. This is an example. It's still a still point, a still center. And we have the same thing in our heart. Place of balance, which is the place of balance, is the place of knowing, the place of awareness, the place that's silent. Sound comes. Sight comes. Feeling comes and passes. Yeah. Now that, in terms of chitta, that which knows or is aware that that mood, that emotion has arisen, has heated up, has moved on and dissolved, that which is, knows that, that's the still center. And you can't find it because it has no sensation to it, no feeling to it, but it's there. And it stops you going mad. So it's quite important, because without it you'd be completely mad. With so many thoughts and feelings. And when people lose it, you see people go nearly mad. You know, when they really lose it, they just... Panic, freaking out. Uh oh, you know, they lost the center. They're just swinging around crazy. Uh, so, <laughs> most important thing. Now, we're trying to, the, the, now the, you know, you could say the, the uh, exercise, if you like, is can we hold that? Can we be that? while we're moving around and we're seeing and we're touching things and we're listening to problems and we hear people this and we hear that and we know, can we be that? This is a big task, I'll admit. So, in using the time when you can find some time just to do this basic exercise, call it meditation, basic exercise, here, this is here, that's changing. This is here, that's the body. This is here, that's a sound. This is here, that's a thought. I'm aware of all these. You can keep placing that time and time and support it. Support it. And how long you do it is how much time you have. And you'll find if you find it beneficial, you'll do more of it. If you find it enjoyable, you'll definitely do more of it. <laughs> if you find it enjoyable, that's the main thing. We often think it's necessary. You know, should meditate, I suppose. We don't want it, we don't really like it. You've got to do it. So it's like going to the dentist or something. 
So you know you're supposed to do it, but you think, oh, tomorrow I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do a lot tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow I'll do twice as much. <laughs> so when your mind's doing that, you know, it's because you don't enjoy it. So how do you make it enjoyable? Well, that's what I'm encouraging you to do, to find the happiness, the lightness, walking. If sitting gets hard and tight, just walk a little bit. Feel like you're walking in happiness. Everybody gets those stresses, those pressures, those senses of urgency, those worries. Everybody gets that. It will never stop. Here's a place where you can find quiet enjoyment. If you look at it like that, cultivate like that, you'll do more of it. And uh, those stresses and anxieties will... They come, but they don't bite. They don't bite so hard. Do you like that? It doesn't really get you around the throat. The chalasas can't get their claws in. They're still nibbling, but they can't get a good meal. So eventually they go somewhere else. So that's my advice. And uh, how do we enjoy? What does enjoy mean? We all hope we all do it. Well, you know what work is. When do you enjoy your work? Do you enjoy your work? Or is it just, oh God, work? <laughs> enjoy. It's the heart opens. It's as simple as that. So, with other people, oh, he's got a problem. He shouldn't be like this. Oh dear, I've got to fix this guy. He's such a... You know, he doesn't behave properly. He's so untidy. He's untidy. He doesn't do this on time. I'm going to try and change him. I'm going to try and change him. This is how to make your life miserable. (laughs) Try to change somebody. That will make you miserable. (laughs) Try to enjoy somebody as they are. That's kind of cute. The way he wears one black sock and one white sock. It's kind of interesting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're all like, wow, what is that? You know? Rather than trying to keep everybody kind of to one thing that you particularly want. If you don't want things, you'll enjoy things. Because you're just open to them. What's that? And yet our wanting says, oh, it's got got to be like this, it's got to be like that. It's got to be very picky and perfectionist. We should release this. I remember teaching retreat... uh, a few years ago, and I was teaching people just to call aimless wandering, where you wander around with no particular aim, just looking at things and nothing. You don't have to get anywhere or make anything work in samadhi, or just just be aimless. And then people can't. You see them, but oh wow. And suddenly they see things, and somebody's staring at a mop. 
They said, this mop is beautiful. I never noticed how beautiful the mop is. <laughs> because they always thought it's always something you do a floor with, dirty old thing. No, you just see it just as it is. And then there's a kind of heart opens to it. It's a thing. That's beautiful. Of course. One way it's not beautiful, but you enjoy it. And you enjoy the sense of the uh, way things change and the way things arise and move through the heart, not through the brain. <laughs> Don't keep measuring things in terms of how much are useful, what's it going to do, why should it be. Just see things as they are. And then you experience a sense of uh, enjoyment as the heart opens. Okay, so I hope you've enjoyed some of today. <laughs> and uh, anything that's been useful, could be one or two little points that you want to pick up and take in and turn over. If anything useful, pick it up now and make use of it while it still remains. <laughs>